listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Today's sermon is from Easter Sunday, where we celebrate the risen Lord. Listen into this sermon from John Landis, highlighting the Easter account in the Gospel of Matthew. Is it possible and true that Jesus truly rose from the tomb? If so, what does that mean for us? This sermon discusses clear evidences to the resurrection and its implications. We invite you to visit us at RoanokeValleyChurch.org or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Church more resources, sermons, and links to help you be a part of what God is doing in the Roanoke Valley. And now, enjoy today's sermon. This morning on Easter Sunday, I do want to thank uh, the Bamber family for coming up here and welcoming us all out. Uh, Kevin is was outnumbered, but he's really, really outnumbered, so we'll keep praying for him. He's a beautiful family, uh, so, so beautiful. And uh, thank you for the chases coming up here and leading us in the time of communion. Uh, appreciate your thoughts and the reminders and uh, validating my daily planner that I still uh, still use. Amen. I appreciate that. Uh, it is Easter Sunday, and it, as, as disciples of Christ or as Christians, uh, the truth is this uh, reminder that we need is something that uh, doesn't have to wait 365 days. This is something that uh, this is our reality that we live in every day. And if you're here seeking God or trying to figure out God, it's a great Sunday to come to. To figure all those things out because it is the the crux it is the uh the crescendo it is the climax of our faith is what happened on easter sunday and here in matthew 27 we'll read the the easter account and i hope to do a few things uh, a couple things this morning is to answer a couple questions that matthew answer that matthew evokes in this text and also really send us home uh, with some great in- inspiration as if these questions are answered true, then what that means for us. Let's uh, go on and hear verse 62 of chapter 27. It says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he, referring to Jesus, was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise... His disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, I love this part, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Amen. We'll stop there. A great text where we see 
the Jews, the Pharisees, and the relig religious rulers trying to keep this down, trying to clamp it down, literally seal the deal. Where Pilate tells him to make this tomb as secure as you know how. And try to imagine what that would have looked like. Guards there. And then we see this instant where God literally shakes the world, rolls the stone back, and for good measure, an angel is able to sit on this stone that was supposed to be the guards of guards, the, the most impenetrable thing they could come up with. And we see God treats it rather lightly. And as he appears to women as, as lightning and as white as snow, you have all this imagery where the world is shaking. Lightning and snow, just these vivid colors that Patricia was talking about up here. Like This is, this is life springing, creation showing itself, God just showing off his magnitude here in this text. And it's an angel there, and he says in verse 6, which is everything to us, he's not here. He has risen. And I love that the angel says just as he said, just as he said he would. And there's this mix that I think uh, really hits the human condition and the human heart that these women represent here in verse 8. It says they, they were afraid yet filled with joy. I don't know what that's like. And I was asking my wife, what's it, what's it like to be afraid and full of joy? And deadpan, she said, going into labor. And I said, oh, okay, that's a... It makes sense I haven't experienced that. But that's, I was like, that's, that's great. I'll share that. Kind of this going into labor, like, I, I know this is going to be hard, but there's joy. There's joy at the end. I know this is going to be difficult, but it'll be worth it. And I believe maybe what the women were wrestling with, just kind of my thoughts here, is that the, just how crazy the idea of what had just happened, and them, them, them as women, going back and actually conveying this truth. That the fear of being the ones to bring this good news has some serious implications and serious consequences. Yet the joy could not tamper them down, could not keep them quiet, them running back. And if you know the other gospel writers, uh, the brothers don't easily agree and believe the women's message. So the questions that are often raised when we talk about rising, the rising Jesus is one, how is that possible? Have you ever had that conversation with someone or you yourself thought that? How is this possible that Jesus rose from the dead? I believe, G I believe Matthew here in his account is posing this question, how is this possible? And I believe Matthew answers it very clearly for us. I think psychologically, uh, we can even ask that this morning. And you're okay, you're in good company. It's like, is this, is this possible? Is this just a fanciful thing? Are we just getting this hype day? Uh, can it really be about, you know, pretty bonnets and dresses and eggs and candy? Can we just make it that? Is it really more than that? And the answer is, of course it is, but how do we know? You know, Matthew has a proper response to this question here in verse 2. It says there, this word heaven, where an angel came down from heaven. There's a violent earthquake. There's a supernatural event that occurs. An angel comes down. There's, the, there's this raining angel, white and lightning. And this is the simple question I believe Matthew, or how Matthew answers this simple question, is that if there's a God that created life, it couldn't be harder for God to resurrect it. If he made it, then he can resurrect it. 
So lightning and angels and earthquakes, if you believe there's a God who made life, then it's possible that he can resurrect it. So you have to go down the line and say, okay, if this is impossible, then you have to answer the question, did God create life? Because if he created life, then he can resurrect life. But you may say to yourself, and I wrestle with this personally, and others have before and will in, in the future, will say to that, well, I don't know if there is a God. And if that's the reason that you think the resurrection is impossible, not to be mean, but that's not a great reason. It doesn't even make rational sense to say, well, I don't believe there's a God, so a resurrection can't happen. Because if you don't believe, uh, believe in God, then you believe, you have to, that this just all kind of happened by chance. Right? So using that logic, if this all happened by chance, then the resurrection just happened by chance too. So it's still possible, even in that, in that logic. But if we believe there's a God, then there are rules. If we believe God created life, then there are rules to life. Certain things are true. There are moral rules. There are physical rules. Some things are possible, and some things are not possible. But if there is no God, all things are possible. It's just whatever happens, happens. So all I'm trying to say here is answering this first question, is it possible? Either rationale you take, there is a God, he created life so he can resurrect it, or I don't know if there's a God, so I'm not really sure how all this happened. This is by chance, so the resurrection's by chance. Is it possible? Absolutely, it's possible. Second question is, is it true? Did he really resurrect from the dead? Matthew gives us three pieces of evidence, and that's not all the evidence, and I'm not, I don't have the time. You can see already I'm talking pretty fast. Uh, this isn't all the evidence that's out there, but there's plenty of evidence. The first one here that he mentions is this theory of what the guards, that the guards fell asleep, and this is a little bit later, I, we actually didn't read this, verse 11 through 15, as the women were on their way, the guards wake up and they go into the city and they report to the chief what happened. And their plan, you can scroll to it with your eyes, this is what the elders and the chief priests devised to come up with. You are there to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. That's the plan. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Basically, if you lose a prisoner, in this case, a dead prisoner, uh, either way, you're dead. So this will keep you safe if you let this roll. So the soldiers took the money and they did as they instructed. And Matthew goes on to say, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So why is this report evidence that it's true. Matthew's writing this gospel 40, 50 years after this event. Why would Matthew include a rational, another plausible idea in his, in his gospel if this wasn't actually true? If there actually wasn't a plan that the, that the chief priests and the rulers of the day actually came up with to spread around? If you faked uh, fake this resurrection, why would you present another plausible idea to your critics? You know what? I think somebody just stole them. Let's, why don't you roll with that? Why would you give people, why would you give people ammunition for a different idea if this idea that they came up with actually wasn't something they fabricated and put together to make sense of what happened? So if you're going to fabricate a story to the world, to show that Jesus rose from the dead, you don't want to make up another 
plausible way he could have done it without kind of sinking your own ship. Does that make sense? So Matthew proves, even recording this, that there was something very, very clear. There was an empty tomb, period. Whether at this point you're like, oh, we resurrected this whole lightning and snow, white snow, not snow white, white snow, all that going on, whether that was true or whether the, the, someone came and stole the body, either way, what is true historically at this point is that the tomb was empty. His greatest critics recognized that the tomb was empty. So historically, that's there. The tomb's empty. How did the tomb get empty? And that's where we are now. Jesus Christ tells us from the very beginning that he is going to raise from the dead. Matthew's account shows us these strong arguments and strong evidence that indeed, as I just said, the tomb was empty. He gives us further evidence when you may be saying, or I've said to myself, how do you know that? There's stronger evidence here that those who came to the, or excuse me, the people that came to the tomb first were women. Now, no one's trying to offend anybody, but back in the first and second century, you could not have picked two worst witnesses than women. And one woman being someone who had demons cast from her and someone who was a prostitute. Can you choose two worst people to be the, to be the bearers of this unbelievable news? And not only was that true, but Matthew actually records it to people who weren't there, who weren't eyewitnesses, so that they could believe it. That's crazy. Again, why would you do that? In the first century, people would see uh, women were not able to testify in court. They were not able to share their examples. They were not able to, to actually own land. They were secondhand citizens. Their ideas were disregarded immediately. Immediately. So the fact that two women running from this back to Galilee to tell their brothers, know why they were afraid? <laughs> because this news is too monumental and no one's ever believed anything I've ever said before, and how are they going to believe this? So the fact that Matthew includes their account, that they were there by name, and they're the ones that are going to go share the good news, they're the ones that came in contact with this risen Jesus, they're the ones that came in contact with an angel, get out of here. So again, Matthew's just stirring it up and making this up, and hey guys, we're, we're going to do something really cool with this. We're going to save the world with this crazy story. Why did you include women? Couldn't you have chosen someone else more respectable? Why not a guard coming to and seeing it? Why not him? Why not a Roman? Two women? Nuts. But the women saw him. Is it true? There's a whole lot of evidence that it is. It goes on to say that this risen Jesus appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's a quote from Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians 15. As he writes that in 60 AD, it says that he appeared to 500 brothers. There's a men's midweek going on, and Jesus showed up. There was a men's service, and Jesus showed up. They were having a fish fry, catfish perhaps, and Jesus showed up. And he says, you know what? They're still alive. Some have died, 
But you could actually go talk to those guys. You could go talk to them who saw Jesus. Paul couldn't have written that if that didn't happen. Why would he write that? Just to stir things up, perhaps. In Matthew, a little bit later in Matthew chapter 28, you don't have to, uh, you can flip there if you want. It's not that far, it's just a few verses. Um, in the Great Commission, when Jesus shows up, it actually says there that when he showed up and appeared, Thomas doubted. It says that even though he rose from the dead, still some doubted. Thomas said, I won't believe unless what? I can touch the nail holes in his wrist and feel his side. And Jesus doesn't tell, tell him, hey, Thomas, just believe, bro. He says, no, 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 come. Come, touch me. And he believes. But even a story that has a risen Jesus in your presence, and then you include the words, still some doubted? These aren't strong claims to kind of stir up a nice legend. These are reasons for a critic to look at and say, this story's got holes in it. So if he includes all these things, why? Why would he include it? It's because it's actually what happened. Is it possible? Yes. Is it true? There's a whole lot of evidence that says so. Not only that, is that we know their story. It's in history. It's from Josephus, who is not a Christian, does not believe in Jesus, highlights how all these men in that upper room, with the exception of John, how they died. And not only how they died, but there's history over and over again that highlights that Christians died well. That from those looking out, trying to critique and criticize the Christian faith, they couldn't wrap their minds around why all of them died so well. Others wrote things like, they are happy, they're joyful, they're excited, despite all the pain coming their way. That they all died well. One of the most famous accounts of a Christian dying well is, a, is an old man in his 80s, Doug Polycarp. It's one of Doug's favorite. I think it's his email address. Yeah, okay. Where Polycarp was there before, before Nero, right there, and Nero's just spewing down to him, don't you know I have all the authority to send wild animals and rip you to shreds? He's like, okay. He's like, don't you know that I have all the power to, to kill you right here? Just recant. And the account goes, just tell the atheists to go away, because believe it or not, Romans began to believe that Christians were atheists in the sense that how they worshiped one God. And he says, just say with your hand, away with the atheists. And Polycarp, unmoved, turns around and looks at the crowd. He says, away with the atheists. At this point, Nero's like, oh, man, he's not buckling to my power. And Polycarp goes on to say, you can burn me alive, and you don't need the ropes to keep me here. I will stand on this in the fire, and I will not move or say a thing. And he is burned alive not bound like many others had been, not shrieking and crying in pain and agony, but silently, just as he said he would. How in the world could anyone do that if they were following a lie? Who gets that excited? Who would not buckle under the pressure if it was a story that was fabricated? If Peter, who's crucified upside down in his last breath, is like, okay, okay, jigs up, jigs up, it's all a joke. 
Okay, guys, hey, easy, easy, easy. All right, I know these guys and everybody else was really serious, but they're just more committed than I was. It's not true, it's not true, it's not true. Okay, that's it. And then all the others are like, oh, yeah, you're right. Jigs up, story's over. That was fun, right, guys? Who dies for a lie? We give up in far less circumstances when we know we're fibbing. Someone wants to take your phone away, kids. You're like, oh, no, 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 okay, I'm out with it. Okay, no more PlayStation. They're all in there. Like, all right, here's the truth. Cop pulls you over. Like, how fast were you speeding? Like, oh, no, please. And the jig's up. We do it for far less. No one's trying to kill you. Anyway. And not only did they die well, but first and second uh, century in Alexandria, which is a church not not in Virginia, but in Egypt, has accounts where people at this point in Egypt were disposing of children. Life was cheap. And back in Egypt, if you had a baby girl, often they would simply throw them out into the street after they were born. And Christian accounts and Egyptian accounts of Christians rallying together to walk the streets to pick up these children and bring them back to the church in Alexandria where the disciples would adopt them. And that is in history where they say they treat people with such compassion, where the world says life is cheap, the Christians understood the value of life, and they sacrificed themselves and their resources and their time and their energy to protect the sanctity of life. These are pagan Egyptian accounts of the Christians are different. Who does all that? Who makes life a little harder? Who loses sleep to maintain a lie? Is it true? There's a whole lot of evidence that there is. And critics also say that there's no way a lie would have such a united front that would spread faster than any other thing in the history of our world. Christianity at this time was the only one, the only religion that ever confronted to unite, that ever engaged to embrace every class, every race, every gender. The fact that women were here in this account, the fact that Jesus let those women grasp his ankles is a serious, serious wall being broken down in the religious world. That the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, your Messiah, allows women to be the first to hear the good news, that's a wall that's tumbling down radically. But the lives of the people that heard this message and how they changed That's the tremendous evidence that the resurrection did indeed happen. That Christianity spread and people lived and died for this faith. So is it possible? Yeah. Is it true? There's a whole lot of evidence for it. But the question that that Matthew finishes in this text answering is why? Why is it such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal to you and I that Jesus rose from the dead? Okay, it's true. It's possible. Great. Now I can go to Starbucks or Barnes & Noble and have an educated conversation with the critic. That's not the point of our gathering. That's not the point of our lives, to go around and be academic heroes. That's great. Academia is wonderful. But that does not convert anyone. It does not change lives. But what does change lives, the truth that this story, if it is true, three quick things. I promise you, there's an egg hunt out there. Three quick things for our lives. The first one, all stones can roll. 
every stone can roll. If this story is true, which it is, the most defended, the most sealed, the most vibrant type of protection can be obliterated because of our God. Seal it up as hard, as, as secure as you know how. No big deal. Earthquake. Angel, I'm going to sit on this thing. No problem. Guards are afraid that which seemed dead is now alive, and that which seemed to have strength is now like a dead man. All stones can roll. What does that mean? Anybody can change. If the resurrection is true, anyone can change. Any challenge can be met. Any sin can be overcome. No one is too far gone. We are all a mess in this room. We are all a mess. And we've all come into this room, or at some point, come into the, into, before God, a mess. Sinful, shame, guilt, lies, deceit. Even then, we felt like, you know what? I think I might have gone too far. God says, watch this stone move. Watch me roll this away. Prophets asked, is there anything too hard for the Lord? If this wasn't too hard, your life isn't too hard to radically change. You may tell me, you don't know me. <laughs> You're right, I don't. But God does. And yes, we all have dug our own graves, but Jesus shows us that he will call us out with love and stones will roll. All stones can roll. Death and its guardians in this text have been conquered. Everything else can be conquered too. You're fearful? Stones can roll to become faithful. You're selfish? Stones can roll to become selfless. You're insecure? Stones can roll to help you be confident. You're wayward and hypocritical? Stones can roll for you to be holy, godly, and purposeful. You're apathetic? You're having difficulty connecting to God? Stones can roll for you to be inspired again. You're broken. Stones can roll to be healed. You feel fake. You're faking the funk. Stones can roll for you to be authentic and honest no matter where you are and actually experience grace and purpose. You can be disengaged. You're here, here just warming a seat. Seats are kind of cushy. They don't need to really be, really, really be warmed, but you're just making an indentation in the seat. But stones can roll to make you intentional. My challenge is that I can be distant, distant from God, distant from people. Stones can roll in my life to be connected. What about you? What stone does Easter roll away? Not just Jesus' stone, but yours too. Secondly, all can rise. All can rise. The women are told to go tell their brothers, and I love that Jesus tells them, what to say? He says, go tell my brothers. Who are these brothers right now at this point in history? They're not brothers. They're deserters. They've all run. They've all, I mean, we know Peter's story. God bless them. But that's all of us. Not my brothers. You're my deserters. You're the people that said, I'll be there. I'll never fall asleep. And you did. If it were me and if it were you, and these women were coming to you after you just did all of that, would you say, hey, go tell my bros. Would you be excited to see the people that rejected you at your most important hour? Let's be honest. We're not Jesus. We'd say, hey, at least you guys were crying. At least you guys were trying to prepare for my funeral. At least you're here laying your lives down, risking your lives to come to this tomb. 
I can build this with you too. But Jesus says, hey, go get the ones who deserted me and tell them. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the prodigal son. Go tell the ones who abandoned me that I have risen again and that I want to meet with them. Not to shame them, not to berate them, but to have a meal with them. To reconnect with them. To help them rise. That's the love of the Father before we change. That's kisses from God before we ever repent. That's love prior to repentance. The love of the Father enables repentance, doesn't it? It causes repentance. Romans 2.4 says that kindness leads to repentance. God is kind. We have not been given what our sins deserve. Some of us have let the stone stay because we like the darkness. There have been earth-shattering things in our lives, but we have found ways to secure our stone from what God wants to do in our lives. And even still, like Lazarus, he calls out, come out, come out, come out. That's the love of the Father. That love that's been showered to all of us, that Jesus who resurrects to keep calling us even though we want to stay in the tomb, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, that that love compels us to come out and no longer live for ourselves but for him. And what this means is that you can rise. That today can be a stake in the ground, not an emotional experience, but a real stake in the ground that, you know what? On, August, on April 9th of 2023, God helped me turn a corner. It was different from there. I had life. I had purpose. I recaptured the adventure that is following God. I was refreshed. I got honest. I got open. I got real. I got serious about putting God's word into practice. I got serious about being a disciple, being taught how to walk in this life. I threw off the shackles of a watered-down Christianity that maybe the pandemic, pandemic brought. You say, you know what? Easter is too purposeful, too meaningful, too important, too true for me to live a wishy-washy, mediocre, lukewarm type of life for Jesus. I know for me, I've got to take my eyes off of man and put them squarely on Jesus. I can rise in that way. I can rise to be empowered by God's love, to be honest, to be real, to be different, to be bold and excited about this truth rather than just a typical religious Christian that throws out platitudes as I walk around my neighborhood or community. Some of us need to simply say, I can rise again to get back to seeking God with my whole heart. That reading my Bible and prayer is not just something I do, it's something I do to connect to my God. Jesus came and greeted these women. They clasped his feet. All can rise so much with this Jesus because in Exodus 24, the elders got to see God's feet on a sapphire pavement. And God told them, hey, I'm only going to let you see my feet because you can't see me because if you do, what happens? You die. So this God in Exodus 24 says, hey, you can see my feet and check out the dazzling sapphire. Pretty sweet, huh? But now this God who died on the cross and who came from the grave not only lets you see his feet, but grab hold of them. To see him, to hear his voice say, greetings. That's how we can rise again. That Jesus is who we get to rise with.
Third and finally, all can run with joy. All can run with joy. The women heard this news and were filled with joy. It says they were afraid, yet full of joy. I think that's a lot of how discipleship looks. I'm afraid. I don't know what's happening, but I'm happy. I'm excited about it. This is hard, but it's worth it. That's a lot of what Christianity can be sometimes. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what God's up to, but I know it's going to end well. In Christianity, because of Easter, there are no dead ends. No dead ends. Nothing ends with death. Nothing. That is the number one thing people are afraid of. The second is what I'm doing. And there's no dead end. You do not have to be afraid of what everyone is afraid of most. You can say, like Lindsay said, going into labor, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what this is going to feel like. I don't know how long it's going to take. Cameron took 40 hours to come into the world. And I'm there, like, falling asleep, you know, laying on this broken couch in the hospital bed, whatever. I, I had it easy. But it's like, I know there's joy, I think. I don't know. And that's a lot like life. But pain, struggle, suffering, difficulty in Christ ends with life. The world says, avoid suffering, avoid all these pains because it feels like you're dying. In Christianity, suffering is the avenue to life. Making sense of it is what makes life worth it. They saw the worst thing happen, their Lord killed, but then they saw that very much defeated. He looked like he was defeated, but he was really triumphing. The cross and the tomb looked like a dead end. But we can run with joy because there are no dead ends anymore. All death can do to us now is raise us. All death can do is raise you. George Herbert said, death used to be an executioner, but the resurrection of Christ makes him nothing but a gardener. When he tries to bury you, he's really just planting you. And you're going to come up better than before. Difficult things are now for our and God's glory. Try to hang out with someone that never had anything difficult happen to them. And you tell me if you walk away inspired. You sit down with coffee and like, tell me about your life. And you don't just see one silver spoon, you see a whole cabinet full of silver spoons in their mouths. And you walk away like, oh, God is good. No, you don't. At best, you walk away like, what a jerk. But you sit down with someone who knows 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made in perfect in weakness. You sit down with someone who has challenges, hardships, suffering, and still says there's no dead ends here. Who still says this is actually going to make me stronger and God is going to get glory from it. Those are the people you want to sit with. And those are the people that inspire you. And guess what? That's us. That's us. We're reminded that the seeds of suffering are, are budding up joy and hope. And yes, there are people in this room that have had way harder lives than me. You can look at me and say, John, pff, what have you had to deal with? And you may be right. But Romans 8 tells me that in all things, we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. And I pray as we move forward after Easter Sunday that maybe you spend time digging into the evidences. You dig into the truths. But either way, evidences will not get you where you need to be. Here these women grasp his heels and they still needed to do what he said. Go and tell them. They were afraid but full of joy. I saw it. I'm trying to make sense of all this, but I still need to do what Jesus said. And Jesus tells us that now we can go and follow him, imitate him, be like him. So do your research. But what I really want everyone to walk away with is to imagine what it looks like to run with joy. What does it look like to imagine running with joy in your faith, running with joy with boldness, running with joy back to the situations that are challenging, running with joy to create opportunities to live out your faith? Fill in the blank for you. What we do know is that Easter is true. There's evidence for it. It's possible. But Easter shows us that every stone can still roll. There are no barriers in this life for God. Easter shows that all can rise. No matter where you are, today is a stake in the ground to be different. Not because you're so great or so strong or so disciplined, but because the cross and the resurrection means something to you. And then Easter reminds us and shows us that we can all run with joy. What's difficult that you're going through? God sees it, but you are more than a conqueror because of his resurrection. Death has been defeated. It's nothing more than a gardener. Let's all rise better than we've ever been before. Happy Easter. Enjoy. One final song. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.